The Word of God states, He speaks the end from the beginning. Deep within the hidden words and meanings of Genesis 5, we see this as one of countless examples throughout the Bible. Upon further examination and study, this is revealed as a hidden message system, offering further evidence of God's supernatural engineering. It defies all mathematical plausibility of mere coincidence. The hidden message of the gospel is in plain sight for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. I am Mark Russick, and you are listening to The Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion. Good day, everybody. Hi, my name is Mark Russick. You're listening to The Russick Outlook. So jazzed for today's topic. It's titled, The Hidden Prophecy of Genesis 5. And we're going to get into the uh, the words behind the words, so to speak. There, there's just some hidden mysteries here that uh, I, I think is just mind blowing. It's astounding, uh, but it just goes to show the the vast richness and depth, not only of the Word of God, but also um, just showing and indicating above and beyond that all things were known from the beginning. Uh, you know, the, the Word of God says that um, He speaks the end from the beginning, and that is certainly the case here as we go to the beginning in the, in the first book of Genesis, and you're going to see what the end game is within the hidden prophecy of Genesis 5. So I hope you're stoked for this, because I certainly am. I'm really looking forward to it, uh, and, and let me just pause for very briefly. I hope you don't mind. I know I ask a lot, but if you could, this really helps. Uh, if you could hit the please, if you can hit the please, please hit the like and the subscribe button. I'll get this right, um, as as well as um, ringing the bell and, and sharing the information. Share the information, whether it's YouTube or some of the other platforms and all the podcast platforms. We're on all the social media. If you could, it would really help. I I, I very much appreciate it. As well as, I'm going to ask if you can go to, over to the Russick Outlook. Get on the. Uh, email list. There's a pop-up window. You'll see it coming across now. But if you go to the site, you can just join, and and uh, we'll we'll just inform you of of when new information and topics are coming. There's some new things in store for 2022, uh, which is around the corner. Here I sit, and it's it's hard to believe, but 2022 is just a few short weeks away. The holidays are upon us. I've just finished Thanksgiving, and we're in the first week of December. So. Uh, anyway, at, at any rate, let me get going here. Again, this is the Hidden Prophecy of Genesis 5. Um, sit back, because this is going to be fun. So I wanted to first talk about the amazement of the Bible. So specifically, um, you know, for people who may not uh, believe the Bible or have their doubts, which is fine, but I just want you to consider some things that are absolutely astounding. You cannot... Uh, possibly defy this logically. It is a supernatural development when you look at the uh, holistically at the entire uh, breadth of, of the Word of God. And by that, I mean this. The Bible was written uh, over a 1,500-year span and includes 66 books, 40 different authors, every different walk of life, Kings, military leaders, physicians, tax collectors, poets, musicians, etc. I give you some examples if you're following me on video that Moses was a political leader and judge. David, he was a king, a poet, a musician, a warrior. Amos was a herdsman. Joshua, a military uh, general. 
Paul was a rabbi who, who, who hated the Christians and, and persecuted them. Peter was a fisherman. Luke turned out to be not only a physician, but uh, a historian of the highest ranks, uh, Nehemiah, cupbearer, and, and a pagan king, etc. So my point is you get all these different authors, all these different uh, walks of life, but yet there's a consistent theme from Genesis to Revelation, uh, you know, which is Jesus and the redemption that is bought for mankind at the cross. The Bible covers all different emotions, valleys of joy, sorrow, despair, times of certainty, conviction, uh, confusion, doubt. It's written in a number of uh, literary styles from historical and narrative uh, to memoirs, satire, biography, autobiography, etc., uh, it does not shy away from controversial subjects. It talks about marriage, divorce, remarriage, homosexuality, adultery, obedience to author, uh, to authority, uh, telling the truth, lying, character development, parenting, etc. So you know you have all these different authors, all these different walks of life, all these different uh, uh, literary styles, uh, all the different emotions. But here's the remarkable point that these authors, you know, are brought together. They didn't know one another, or maybe some of them might have known of some writings. But yet that theme is consistent from Genesis to Revelation, that the paradise lost in Genesis becomes the paradise regained in Revelation. And the leading character from the very first page to the very last page is the one true living God made known through Jesus Christ. So, you know, that is, I'm just trying to set the stage for you because that has a lot to do with, or, or I should say that it gives you a good foundation for where I'm going to go, that this is a supernatural book. You cannot possibly uh, explain this in a logical manner. And again, so many of these things have been borne out historically, um, archaeological evidence, scientific evidence, uh, eyewitness accounts, etc., so let me, you know, I just wanted to kind of lay that foundation. Now, the Bible is a message system. Uh, it's just simply not the 66 books. I shouldn't say simply. That's probably the wrong word. But what I want to get at is uh, there's, there's so much more hidden within the words of the, or even the letters. When you break down the Hebrew letters, they have such significance. And, you know, and, and I'm pointing out some things here of what a, a lot of people would look at as code within the Bible. And, you know, this is just a brief example, if you're following me on video on the right, of, a, a, of how somebody's breaking down um, certain scriptures and the code words. And if you follow a certain amount of letters, uh, the sequence of them, you, you know, there's, there's astounding information. But I'm, I'm not going to get into all of that today. But I just want you to know, and I'll show you in a second, of some authors that have, have done this. Um, but it, the Bible is an integrated system which bears evidence of supernatural engineering. Yes, I said engineering. Jewish rabbis have a quaint way of expressing this idea. They say they will not understand the scriptures until Messiah comes. But when he comes, he will not, he'll not only interpret each of the passages for us, he will interpret the very words. He will even interpret the very letters themselves, as I said. In fact, he will even interpret the spaces between the letters. That's pretty astounding. So most people will say, yeah, you know, yeah, that's a bunch of malarkey. And, you know, that's a little bit of my Irish coming out. Um, but here, I want you to consider something, uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Think not that I have come to destroy the Torah and the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. 
For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. That's Matthew 5, 17 through 18. A jot and a tittle are the Hebrew equivalent of us dotting an I, crossing a T. You know, we, we, we know the expression that, you know, a, a, a document or, or, or something that is written, you know, is, is almost complete, but you need to, to finalize it. You need to dot the I's, cross the T's. You need every little nuance of every little letter uh, accounted for properly and grammatically correct. So, you know, that kind of sets the stage for where I want to go with this. I mentioned to you that there are some books out there. I just wanted to put out, point out uh, Michael Drosen has a wonderful book. I, I, I have to admit I'm, I'm not overly familiar with it. I've gone through the first one. He's got three of them out, I believe. Um, there's another gentleman here. I, I say The Bible Code, um, O.S. Hawkins. And then again, I give you another example here in the middle uh, of somebody who's breaking down uh, the code. And it, this kind of gets into the letters and the spaces and the Hebrew interpretations and whatnot. So there is hidden code in there. And, you know, do we have uh, um, a modern day equivalent of, of what I, I would say looking at this? Now, this, what I'm going to show you in the next slide, isn't necessarily um, the Word of God, but it is God's creation and the hidden code of God's creation that's hidden in you and I and every other person on the planet, not only alive, but those who have passed. And by that, I mean, I'm going to point to your DNA. So DNA is, is a little bit of a, a mouthful of a word. It stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. For a biological system to operate, it needs genetic information that builds the proteins uh, in the protein machines, which gives us all of our different functions and all of the different organs and, and, and body parts. For every cell in the body, the information is contingent on the selection and the arrangements of the patterns of four DNA chemicals. There are 20 different types of amino acids and 30,000 different types of proteins. So it's this combination that varies and changes for each and every individual. Hence, that's where you get the uh, what, what I would say your original stamp, which, you know, which is your unique DNA. We know that a full complement of human DNA has more than 3 billion sequences. This sequence is called a, geno, a ge genome. I'm sorry. Now get ready for these staggering uh, numbers. Our entire DNA sequence or human genome would fill 200 1,000 page New York City telephone directories. Naturally, where I got the, when I got this analogy years back, they had telephone directories. And for those of you who do remember, they were some pretty thick books. And let me tell you, the New York City uh, telephone directory was pretty, pretty thick. I mean, you know, you're talking about probably 8 million, 9 million people at this point. One complete 3 billion base human genome would take 3 gigabits of storage space. So if you unwrap all of the DNA that you have in your cells, you could fill enough books to fill the Grand Canyon 78 times. That's just you by yourself. That's how much code is information. So in other words, all of these different sequences have to line up to perform the different functions. And this goes to your kidney, to your heart, to your lungs, to, to every part of your body. There, you know, you have all of these different sequences. 
you could take uh, your entire DNA strand and go back and forth uh, to the sun 600 times. That's the amount of information and code that is in you. So what I am getting at is if you believe like I do that God created you and God created man, and, and because I will tell you the evolutionists have absolutely no explanation for this. They do not know where this code and this information comes from. And, it, you know, I don't want to go down that path of, of how silly evolution can be in that regard. Um, but, but you know, needless to say, they want to gloss over this fact that, oh, oh, this just happened. And if you follow evolutionary logic, it's got to go in a step-by-step sequence. That's not the case here. You can't just magically have all of this coded information, especially to the sophistication and the, and the degree that we do have. Just think about the differences in the human eye, the human hearing, uh, you know, and, and on and on. But my point here is that there's code that's hidden in the body. It's hidden in God's creation. And I believe you'll see some code that's, and you, it, 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 it's definitely true. Their code is hidden in the Bible. I gave you a couple of books to reference, but I'm going to point out something that's pretty unique. Um, and it's not that difficult. So we don't have to really put on our super brainiac thinking caps but it's pretty astounding. So before I lay this groundwork, let me just cite three scriptures and they're going to become important and you'll know why. Genesis 3.15 is the very first prophecy and it says, I will put enmity, which uh, I'm going to read you the the amplified uh, translation here, which means open hostility between you and the woman. This is the Lord speaking to Satan and between your seed, Now, this is important. Your seed, his seed or his offspring and her seed. He shall fatally bruise your head. Fatality. You know, that's it. And you shall only bruise his heel. Now, just very quickly, uh, this is obviously pointing to, to Jesus, pointing to the cross. And a lot of people say, well, what do you mean bruise his heel? When you are crucified and you go to push up, you're constantly, if you're hanging on a cross, nailed to a cross, roped to a cross, you're pushing off of your heels because you're trying to get breath into your lungs. You're pushing your chest upwards, and all of that inertia stems from the heels, and that heel in all crucifixions is bruised. So here you see in the very first chapters of Genesis where the crucifixion is is not is is, pro, is part of the prophecy let me put it that way but what I'm getting at here is that the Lord is is prophesying and saying that Jesus his sacrifice at the cross will be necessary to bring us to the the point of victory that we ultimately see uh, not only here on earth but what we ultimately really see in, in heaven now let me switch gears very quickly to Genesis 6. Now it happened when men began to multiply in the face of the land, daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, sons of God are are the fallen angels. This, these are the ones who were tossed out of heaven. And they saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and desirable. They took wives for themselves whom they chose and desired. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive and remain with man forever because he is indeed flesh, sinful, corrupt given over to sensual appetites. And, and again, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm reading Amplified here, and I think for these scriptures, it's important for me to really uh, lay hold to the meaning of these words. Normally, I would just read the King James. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. There were Nephilim, men of stature, notorious men on the earth in those days, 
and also afterwards, when the sons of God, the fallen angels, lived with the daughters of men, they gave birth to their children. These are the Nephilim. So they are uh, a, a little bit of a, um, what's the word I want? Um, I can't think of the word I want, but I'm going to say it. It's not the word I was thinking of. Uh, oh, mutant is the word I was thinking of. I was going to go with freak. Uh, but these were mighty men who were of old men of renown, great reputation and fame. In other words, they were known, these giants, and you see this throughout the Old Testament. Um, but they were, you know, they were evil. They were part, uh, and when I say, uh, you know, freak, meaning that they were part of their seed was from a- a- angelic beings and then part man. The Lord, going on to verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness or the depravity of man was great on the earth and that every imagination or intent of the thoughts of his heart were for evil continually. The Lord regretted that he made mankind on earth and the earth he was deeply grieved. So the Lord said, I will destroy mankind whom I have created from the surface of the earth, not only man, but the animals, the crawling things, the birds of the air, because it grieves me to see uh, mankind's sin, and I regret that I have made them. However, however is my insertion, but Noah found favor and grace in the eyes of the Lord. So that's where, you know, you get into uh, um, the freedom that is the rescue operation, I'll, I'll call it, with the ark. So oftentimes people will point to the cross and the ark, uh, uh, getting on uh, onto the ark as, as a means of uh, of preservation, and it's the same here. So I show you a picture of the, of, of the uh, shadow of of the cross with the ark. Finally, so I've got Genesis three fifteen, Genesis six, where it talks about what was going on in the times of Noah and why uh, uh, the Lord flooded the earth and, and you know provided the the escape through the ark. Now let me jump jump to Luke seventeen twenty four through thirty. This is Jesus speaking. For, and then this is where the uh, disciples were asking him, what will it be like before your return? So this is his answer. For like the lightning that flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his own day. But first, he must suffer many things and be disproved and repudiated, I'm sorry, and rejected by this age and generation. And just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the time of the Son of Man. People ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage right up to the day when Noah went into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So also it was the same as it was in the days of Lot. People ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the very day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. That is the way it will be on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So Jesus is giving you two examples. He's saying, before I come, it will be as in the days of Noah, and he also gives you the the days of Lot as examples. That's important for where, you know, eventually I'll I'll show you some things. But I, I think these three scriptures are important where the cross is prophesied. We find why the flood was was made. And then further, we, we see that Jesus said it will be as in the days of Noah, which caused the flood. And, um, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll continue. Hang on. I'm trying to get ahead. Of, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself, I should say. So now let me jump to Genesis 5, which is the prophecy that I'm talking about. So this is the generations of Adam. So these are the first 10 beginning with Adam. 
I'm not going to read it all, but I highlighted for you uh, the 10 people that, that are named. It's Adam, Seth, Enos, Kenan, Mahalalil, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. So those are the 10 that lead from Adam to Noah to we have the day of the flood. I also wanted to point out that <clears throat> Lamech uh, um, died just before the, 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 the rains came, and all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Seven is the number of perfection that, that you know the Lord has given us. So what I find interesting here, and this is just a side note, that just before the flood, the seven was completed. Lamech is, is the last one who was alive before the flood from, from, uh, um, uh, from the heritage of, of Adam. And he lived 777 years. And for you know most people who, who understand the revelation of God, when you get into specifics like this and you get into the numbers and, and, and there's so much detail, there's always reason that God gives you the detail. And this to me is just a hidden little nugget that, that I think he shows us that was important because that was part of, you know, the original creation seven. And, and you know, and there's a lot more to that. But I, I just, so here you've got the 10 names. So now what I'd like to do is get into the words and, and the meanings of them. I'm going to concentrate on the Hebrew translations of these me- names uh, because it was written in Hebrew. And that that's obviously, uh, you know, where we want to go. But we're going to find some some pretty significant gemstones here. Uh, so let me begin with Methuselah. Methuselah comes from Muth, which is a root that means death, or from Shelach, which means to bring or to send. The name Methuselah means his death shall bring. Methuselah's father was given a prophecy of the coming great flood and was apparently told that as long as his son was alive, the judgment of the flood would be with hell. But as soon as he died, the flood would be Bought, for, bought or sent forth. And indeed, the year that Methuselah died, the flood came. It is interesting that Methuselah's life, in effect, was a symbol of God's mercy in, in forestalling the coming judgment of the flood. Therefore, it is fitting that his lifetime is the oldest in the Bible. In fact, it's 969 years old. You can go by exactly those first ten generations, how old each of them are, and how old they were when certain children were born and, and when Noah began building the ark and so forth. But this kind of lays out just another hidden gem of, of the extent that the Lord goes and shows you uh, his mercy, his great mercy. So let's go to more of the, uh, of the names, because if we see the significance in Methuselah, I, I believe, and you will see, that we will find significance in all of these names. So Adam means man, okay? He's the first man, no no stretch there. Adam's son was named Seth, which means appointed. Eve said, for God has appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Genesis 4.25 is your reference there. Seth's son was called Enosh, which means mortal, frail, miserable. It is from the root word Enosh, which means to be incurable. It is used of a wound, a grief, sickness, wickedness. It was in the days of Enosh that men began to defile the name of the living God. Next, we had Kenan. And again, you can find all of these in Genesis 5, you know, which I previously had laid out. 
Enosh's son was named Kenan, which means sorrow, dirge, or elegy. The precise detonation is somewhat elusive. Some study aids unfortunately presume that Kenan is synonymous with Canaan, which it's not. <clears throat> Excuse me. Balaam, looking down from the heights of Moab, uses a pun upon the name of the Kenites when he prophesies their destructions. We have no real idea as to why these names were chosen for their children. Oftentimes they find that may, that may have referred to circumstances at birth and so forth, but we can't really be sure. Uh, but we do can go back and find what are those meanings and what are those translations. Next uh, in line was Mahalalel. Kenan's son, uh, uh, Mahalalel, means blessed or praised. And El, the name of God. You know, El is, is oftentimes, uh, you know, the different names of God begin with El. Uh, I think there's six or seven of them. Thus, Mahalalel means the blessed God. Often Hebrew names include El, the name of God is Daniel, God is my judge, etc. Which, incidentally, for those of you who don't know, that is the meaning of Daniel. Jared, Mahalalel's son, was named Jared from the verb yarda, which means shall come down. Now, I, I don't expect you to remember everything as I'm going through it, but I am going to bring all of this to to a uh, to a close to a um, a point where you'll you'll see it all happen. Well, you'll see it all come together. The next in line was Enoch. Everybody was most people are familiar with Enoch. Jared's son, Enoch, which means teaching or commencement. He was the first of four generations of preachers. In fact, the earliest recorded prophecy was by Enoch, which amazingly enough deals with the second coming of Christ, although it is quoted in the book of Jude, and you got to go to the New Testament, but Jude quotes Enoch. Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against. This is found in Jude 14 and 15. Next you have Methuselah. Enoch was the father of Methuselah who, you know, we've already mentioned. Remember, for those of you who may not know, Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. And Enoch received the prophecy of the great flood and was told that as long as his son was alive, the judgment of the flood would be withheld. The year that Methuselah died, the flood came. We've talked about that. Enoch, of course, never died. He was translated, or another word would be raptured or harpizo, which is the, uh, which is the Greek. Uh, but he was the first to be raptured. So that's how Methuselah can be the oldest man in the Bible, yet he died before his father. Next, we have Lamech, who I, who I said died just before the flood, the 777 years. Methuselah's son was named Lamech, a root still evident today in our own English word, lament, lamentation. Lamech uh, suggests despairing. This name is also linked to the Lamech in, in Cain's line, who inadvertently killed his son Tubal Cain in a hunting accident. Last but not least, we have Noah. Lamech, of course, is the father of Noah, which is derived from Nahum, to bring relief or comfort, as Lamech himself explains in Genesis 5.29. So there you have the ten generations as laid out in Genesis 5. Here's the, the ten names uh, and the meaning behind the names. So now, bear with me if you will, I want to put these names together and their meanings. 
So here is the genealogy of Genesis 5. So if you're following me on video, I show you that Adam, man is, Seth, appointed, Enosh, mortal, Kenan, sorrow, Mahalalel, the blessed God, Jared, shall come down, Enoch, teaching, Methuselah, his death shall bring, Lamech, the despairing, Noah, comfort and rest. So you may say, well, what does that all mean? Well, if let's put them together now. So I'm going to read this as you would a sentence by the translation of these names. So it would be, man is appointed mortal sorrow, but, and I'm inserting that, the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. So think about this. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. We saw where, you know, man is, is sinful in, 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 in all of his ways because of the flesh. But the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death. So he's saying God is blessed, but yet he will die. And that it will bring the despairing comfort and rest. So here we have the gospel message completely hidden in the chapter in, in, in chapter five of Genesis, really right in plain sight. And you know, so what I'm getting at here is it has been foretold thousands of years before Jesus even came onto the earth and, and was born. And we, you know, we've covered so many of those prophecies that have come to pass. But can anybody really believe that a group of Jewish rabbis, remember this is Old Testament before Jesus, they conspired to hide the Christian gospel right here in the genealogy of the first book of the Torah? So, you know, it, again, you know, the Jews don't recognize, well, most pe Jewish people, they're practicing their faith or, you know, they're, they're not practicing their faith. They don't believe that the Messiah has come but yet here we have it, and it's foretelling Jesus' own death on the cross so that we may be saved, we may be set free and delivered. So, again, this just defies all human logic. You cannot possibly say, oh, yeah, well, you know, or this was just a, an accident of words or something. It's just, come on. It's, it's you know, it's, again, hidden in plain sight, but hidden nonetheless. So that's why I say the hidden prophecy of Genesis 5. So to me, this shows you the evidence of a design. The implications of this discovery are far more widespread. It demonstrates that the earliest chapters of the book of Genesis that God already laid the plan of man. It is a love story. It is written in blood on a wooden cross, which, which was erected in Judea almost 2,000 years ago. The Bible is an integrated message system. It is the product of supernatural engineering. Every number, every place, every name, every detail, every jot and tittle is there for our learning, our discovery, our amazement to marvel and to engage with the God who created everything. And the God who wants you to discover these things, he's hidden them in plain sight, so to speak. Um, and, and again, I'm just going to go to uh, what it says in Second Timothy, study to show thyself approved to God. It's, you know, this little play on words here with the coffee cup, take a seat at his feet. But, you know, think about sitting at the feet of the rabbi. You know, many of the uh, disciples, they, they called Jesus rabbi. He taught in, in the synagogues. 
it is astonishing to discover how many biblical controversies seem to evaporate if, if you simply recognize the unity and the integrity of these 66 books by these 40 different authors. You cannot get around that. It is supernatural. It is, you cannot explain how 66 uh, books can possibly, over a 1,500-year period, be written by all these different authors, and yet the consistency and the theme is there from beginning to end. It's impossible. It is remarkable, however, to the subtle discoveries lie the little details of the text. Some of these become immediately obvious. Some require deep, deep learning and studying. So let me, let me stop for a second. Where I first learned this was from Chuck Missler, who is unfortunately, fortunately for him, unfortunately for, for the church, went on to be with the Lord, I think, in 2018. Just an incredible uh, teacher. I, I, you know, I've been reading his books and uh, listening to his works for some 20-something years. Just an incredible uh, man. I, I believe his studies found this. It may have been revealed to him by others, but this is where I first came across this information. If you do have a chance and you're not familiar with Chuck's work, I highly recommend it. He's just he's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant man and, and a real treasure. Uh, but anyway, you know the message for us is to look behind every detail. There's a discovery to be made. God rewards the diligent student. You know it's much like uh, you know when you study yourself in school, you get grades. You know, I don't know that God's grading you, but He will reward you with something far better than the gold star your teacher would give you. But it requires study. It requires getting your nose in the book and prayer and fasting and, you know, the, the things that you know. But I, I guess, you know, what I'm trying to bring out here is the marvel of God's Word and how from the very first pages that was written, he foretold and prophesied things uh, that, that are a couple thousand years old at the time of the writing. Or even if you think about Moses, I should say at the time of, of what Moses was writing about that time period, but even Moses at this, when he wrote it, was probably 1,400 years before Jesus, give or take. I, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Right around that number, though. So let me close, if you wouldn't mind, with what I'm going to say is a little bit of a bonus. I want to go back to Jesus' own words in that scripture, that, that third scripture that I pointed out about the flood. That, you know, for like lightning that flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so will be the Son of Man in his own day. Let me fast forward. Uh, just as in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of time of the Son of Man. People ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage, right up to the day when Noah went into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them. But on that day, uh, on the very day that Lot went out to Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. That is the way it will be in the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So, you know, there's all of these different signs that Jesus is coming soon. I say this all the time, bear with me. Could be tomorrow, could be five years, could be 10 years, could be 100 years. I don't think it'll be that long based upon the signs that are around us. But again, only the Father knows. But the signs are there. And for, you know, most people, they recognize it. Even people who don't know the Lord know that there's something uh, nefarious and, and deep that's going on, you know, in, around the world. You talk about all the lawlessness and, the, and, and, and so forth. So let me preface it by saying, well, let's look at what those days of Noah were like or the days of Lot. And what are we looking at today? Well, 
Is there an immoral and violent world? Uh, the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth, and these, every intent of the heart was evil, Genesis 6, 5. The earth was so corrupt before God, and earth was filled with violence. It goes on to Genesis six eleven. Think about today. Think about our society uh, or the society that Lot lived. God said their sin is very grave. These sins at that time with Lot included haughtiness, self-centeredness, sexual immorality. The New Testament describes Sodom and Gorah this way. Jude 7. Likewise, Sodom and Gorah and the surrounding cities, which in the same manner as they indulged in sexual immorality, they pursued unnatural lust, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So that's, you know, that's the end game for the fallen angels and for the people who reject God. So you have to ask yourself, or I'll ask the question, is our world filled with violence and immorality? This generation is corrupt, and it's, you know, it's getting more and more so by the day. You know, it used to be something would happen or you see something in the headlines and then maybe six months, a year, two years later, something else would jump out. It's almost like you, almost on a daily or a weekly basis, things are jumping out that you can point to that are things that were foretold that would be uh, of the days of of, of, of of the days of Noah, similar to the days of Noah, uh, for when Jesus returns. I'll I'll go so far as to think about you know how that disrupted the bloodline because you had angelic beings mating with uh, uh, human beings. So it is today that the, the, you know, the precedent is being laid out. The groundwork's being done. Gene splicing is happening. They're mixing animals and, and, and humans. They're, 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 you know, if you want to uh, splice some uh, components of your DNA, you know, here you know parents. Uh, you know, I want my child to have blonde hair, green eyes, or blue eyes, or, you know, whatever. That's the detail of what they're now tailoring a child to come into the world. But is there a righteous remnant? Despite the wickedness that God saw, there was a righteous remnant in Noah. God saved Lot and his family after Abraham was unable to find 50 righteous people. He then broke it down. What about 45, 40, finally, not even 10? Only Lot, Abraham's nephew, was found to be righteous. So God chose to protect him. Second Peter 2, he rescued Lot, a righteous man greatly distressed by the lasciviousness Lycidianus of the lawless. And for the righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So that's Second Peter 2, 7 through 9. So despite the lawlessness of our culture, there are still many committed believers who live for God in obedience to his word these are the believers that I, I, I would attest to will be raptured before the tribulation uh, I, I, and provide that means of escape. I, I, I did a, um, a teaching on this. You can find so many, you know, so many good teachers out there about the, the rapture. There are some that would believe it happens mid-trib, post-trib, but overwhelmingly, you know, to me, it's very, very obvious that it happens before the, uh, the, the tribulation. God rescues his people so that he, they will not go through that. It's the same equivalent to the rescue of the ark. Um, 
you can draw the analogy that you, the waters are above the earth and above the sins, and it is the same whereas the rapture, you know, you're lifted up above it all. Uh, again, I'm not going to break, break all of that down, but I did do a, a, a couple of different uh, broadcasts on the rapture, why I believe overwhelmingly scripture points to a, a pre-trib um, uh, rapture. But, you know, you, you can look at that. And, and again, there's many other information. But my point here is we are living in a world that is more and more starting to look like the days of Noah. And there is a righteous remnant. There is... Uh, the ecclesia, the world church, the global church. I'm not talking about denominations. I'm talking about people who know and love the world, the Lord and are preaching the gospel, ministering to people, trying to do what they have been called to do, whether they're called to minister or whether they're called to be a lawyer, whether they're called to be a janitor, whether they're called to be a mother or father, whatever the calling is, if we're doing what we're put to do on this earth, the church will rise and be strong and they are the righteous remnant because of the blood of Jesus. So finally, let's talk about that sudden removal. After gathering the animals on the ark, Noah and his family entered the boat, shut the door, and then the rain began to fall. At dawn, Lot took his wife, daughters and and daughters, to make a desperate journey to the mountains, leaving Sodom behind. They escaped before the fire consumed Sodom and Gomorrah. There's there's uh, if you go to this this area of Israel today, it is a dead area. Nothing grows, and you'll they actually found. Uh, it is heavily um, uh, salt deposits. Uh, not all of his family members escaped, defying the Lord's instructions. Lot's wife, she turned around and looked, and then she turned into the pillar of salt because she was not obedient. God has given his righteous remnant a means of rescue from the coming judgment. This is one of many scriptures, but I think this is pretty clear. This is uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, that's faster than you can blink. So uh, if you're still not sure and you still haven't made that decision, please, please, please seek the Lord with all your heart. The rapture will take place without a moment's notice in the twinkling of an eye. That's not enough time to repent. That's why I'm saying that now. So are we ready for the return? This is why it is so important to understand end time prophecy. And we must be ready for the return of Jesus because it says it can happen at any moment. It is clear to me that we are living in a violent and wicked world. A world that's given to lust, depravity, that pretty much anything goes. Whatever I want goes. It is very similar to what we saw before the flood and before Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible speaks very clearly about the return of Jesus. Prophetic signs written centuries and centuries ago are being fulfilled all around us. Start with the super sign that I called, which is the nation of Israel and the rebirth of Israel. But even so, people, regardless of all that's happening, they are still living in sin. They're still living in rebellion. And I know many people who profess to know Jesus, and they still want God on their terms. God wouldn't do this. God wouldn't do that. And and I think God should. And I believe that, well, God really means this. And so they're changing God to meet their interpretation, to fit their, what they think would be righteous, as though their judgment supersets or trumps 
God's judgment. Uh, God's judgment is perfect. We, we may not always understand it, but we can trust that the future is in his hands and we want to be a part of it. So as in was the days of Noah and Lot, so will it be when Jesus returns to rescue us from this depraved world. That moment is coming soon. Jesus says at the end of Revelation, I am coming and coming soon. So let me go back real quick to end this. Remember what was written thousands of years before Jesus and close to 6,000 years now. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest. I leave it at that. I just thank you so much for listening. I hope you you enjoyed this and, and obtained some good information. And please send me a comment, send me a question. Uh, I, I love to engage and, I, and I'm really so grateful so many people have been sending me comments and emails and um you know, a lot of wonderful, wonderful uh, um, reports of people learning and growing and sharing the information. And, you know, there's still the occasional who may disagree or may find some of this information doesn't line up with their rationale. And that's fine. Uh, the fact that you've listened and you've engaged, I am very much appreciative. And I always say that, you know, uh, you may not always be everybody's cup of tea, but uh, I, I, I just, you know, I'm confident in, in what the Lord has put on my heart to share. And I get so much out of what people write back. I've learned from people who have shared information, translations, information uh, that, that I've been able to glean from it. So it's, it's really about a two-way street. So I'll get off my high horse, but I want to thank you again for listening. Uh, and again, please email russicoutlook at gmail.com. Uh, especially if you have questions concerning salvation and, and where you stand uh, as far as the Lord is concerned. Uh, I, I again uh, re remind you that uh, you've been listening to the Russick Outlook. And remember, as always, just my opinion. <laughs>